honor of the word of God as I read Jude 1, 3. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The word of God for the people of God. Read New City Catechism question 31 with me. What do we believe by true faith? Everything taught to us in the gospel. The Apostles' Creed expresses that we believe in these words. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I'm glad to have you here today, each one of you, uh, long-time folks and new folks and visitors and all. We're looking at the Apostles' Creed, and we'll talk about uh, the final four or five statements there, beginning with, for from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's where we left off last week. The Apostles' Creed is a body of faith that summarizes what we believe as Christians. It's hard to put everything in a summary. That's why it's called a summary. But in the beginning of the answer, it says everything taught to us in the gospel. And so it is everything. That's what we believe by true faith. But it is summarized in the Apostles' Creed. We as a church don't uh, say the Apostles' Creed every week. Uh, some in hundreds of thousands and millions of Christians every Sunday do say it as a statement of belief and of faith and what summarizes Christian faith. Uh, one of the things we do is we uh, say a statement of the announcement of the gospel. So every morning you might notice, and if you're visiting you might not, But we say, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have been restored to a loving relationship with God the Father and one another through the pure life, the atoning death on a cross, the bodily resurrection to eternal life, and the glorious ascension of our Savior Jesus Christ. He is seated at the right hand of the power of God. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, to him. He has rescued his people from the wrath of God into peace with God. From his throne, he has given his own spirit to indwell, to create, and to preserve a purified people for the everlasting habitation of God. He is making all things new with the promise of the full restoration of his created order forever, all to the praise of his glorious grace. 
Amen? That's our gospel announcement. That is a summary of what the good news is that we gather around as Christians. Uh, Teresa and I worked on that for some time and years uh, together, and we got a lot of it from different mentors of ours uh, that, that preach and teach, and with the Gospel Coalition, their announcement of the good news and what they summarize it to be. Uh, we've worked on it and, you know, changed a few things here and there, and I believe it's a good summary of our faith. I believe the Apostles' Creed is a great statement and articles of our faith, that body of work uh, that summarizes what's in the Bible. Jude says that there is that. Our scripture today, uh, Jude addresses us in this scripture, and he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. So he, and already at this time, there was a body of faith that Christians believed in that they knew what that meant. Contend for the faith. They knew what they were fighting for. They knew what the statements were. And the Apostles' Creed has been around for some 1,800 plus years. This is what Christians, don't you feel connected to that? Christians have been saying this statement of faith. This is what we believe as Christians for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's a, it's a great summation of what we believe. Contend for that faith. Contend for the basic foundations that we believe in for Christians. This is common to all of our salvation. This is what we believe. So we have covered uh, the first six articles of faith, and we're on seven this morning. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I think it's very important for us to understand that Jesus is returning and that judgment will take place. John 5, says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. He's emphasizing the fact of the Son involved on that day of judgment. 2 Timothy 4.1 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Isn't that what we just read in the, in the Apostles' Creed? That he, he will come to judge the living and the dead? So these statements are mostly just right out of Scripture. And this statement is right out of 2 Timothy 4.1. That in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Acts 17.31, and Paul's sermon there in Athens, uh, uh, preaching to the philosophers and all of them. He gets to this point at the end of his uh, teaching in Acts 17.31, and he says, Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He will judge through and by the man Jesus Christ. So we won't just be judged by a transcendent God, but we will be judged by a transcendent God through a man, a human being, just like you and me, that man, Jesus Christ. That day is coming, and uh, for all of us, 
uh, and the, this, this uh, teaching of the basic foundations of faith. This is all throughout Scripture. It's a major point of the creed. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this than the other statements because uh, I believe it's just so important and it's something we don't hear about and we won't hear a whole lot about as I teach through the rest of the New City Catechism. We will teach more on the Holy Spirit, the communion of saints. The, that's a whole section of what we're teaching through this year. So listen on this point about judgment. Uh, Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, uh, we read it and studied it here uh, years ago when it first came out. In it, he quotes Arthur Miller uh, in a play that... Now, Arthur Miller, if you don't know who he is, uh, is most famous for being married to Marilyn Monroe. So he was, you know, if you don't know him, you go, oh, one of her husbands. And he was uh, married to her up until uh, from 56 to about 61, and, and uh, they divorced, and then it was in 62 that her life ended. And so he wrote this play. He was a New York uh, playwright. He wrote this play called After the Fall, and most people say it really paralleled their life, uh, uh, you know, so it looked pretty personal by the way the story and the play was written. But in that play, there's this character. His name is Quentin, and he says this at this one point in the play. I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight and all that remained was the endless argument with oneself. This pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench. Which of course is another way of saying despair. Judgment is important. It's important to our whole life. It's important to us coming to a resolve about did our whole life have meaning or not? Was anybody watching? Did anyone ever care? Who's going to decide what was right and wrong? This is something that is craved by everybody. Atheists, agnostics, uh, you know, in, in, in their deepest soul, they crave either the final approval, the final decision of what is right and wrong. We crave a judge and we crave justice. We crave justice now. We don't want Hitler to get away with all of his evil. We don't want evil people to get away with their evil. We want them to give an account. And the Bible says we will give an account before God that Jesus will return and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I got a lot out of C.S. Lewis's, uh, I think, the final book that he ever read, uh, wrote, and I is my favorite, and it's called Till We Have Faces. And it's a, a book about a queen uh, that grows up, and, and it's a myth retold, so he's paralleling it with some uh, myths that have existed for a long time and, and making it his own story. But it's all about judgment. And it's all about the need for a judge. In the book, in the opening page, uh, this line, Oriol, uh, who, who becomes the queen of Glom, uh, she writes this, I will accuse the gods, especially the God who lives 
on the gray mountain. That is, I will tell all he has done to me from the very beginning, as if I were making my complaint of him before a judge. So it begins with that. And the story for about 287 pages is all about her life. But during her life, she carries this book with her. And in this book, she records every anger and every disappointment that she has. And she blames God for it. And she's keeping that as a complaint because she does want to stand before God one day and say, here's all the things you did wrong. Uh, First of all, she's not beautiful. In fact, it says that she's very ugly. And she has a real beautiful sister. And then her dad... Uh, marries another uh, lady and they have another daughter who is so beautiful people worship her and here she is you know her dad tells her to put a veil over her face because she's so ugly so this is one of the bitterness things that she has in her life but all of her life seems unfair and she's keeping this book and at the end of uh, 287 pages of the first book she says that The gods have given her no answer, and they have no answer. And she is growing old now. She's been queen for a long time. She's kind of forgotten a lot about her bitterness in this book, but she picks it up when she's old because she realizes she's going to die and somebody's going to read this book, and she wants it to be passed on. She wants people to read about how unfair the gods were to her. And she says, but now I'm old. I know much more than I did about the woman who wrote that. She says, I did not see clearly many things that I see now, but that that writing was preparing her for God's surgery upon her. They would use my own pen to probe my wound. So the whole second chapter uh, of the book is God working within her about her complaint in this book that she's got, her complaints to God. God begins to reveal things to her, not just through uh, the wisdom of old age, but through dreams and visions and confronting her about that maybe she wasn't all that good herself, and maybe God wasn't all that bad herself. But she finally gets this chance to bring her complaint before God, and she gets on this complaint uh, roll, and she's reading from her book, And finally, this voice comes out and says, Stop! Enough! said the judge. And Oriel finally realizes in the silence that followed what she had been doing. She had been reading her complaint over and over and over again. She says perhaps a dozen times and would have just continued forever and ever reading her complaint if the judge had not stopped her. She would have just gone on in that hell of that mode. But that voice stopped her. And she realized, first of all, that she was speaking. She heard her voice speaking in that complaint that that was her real voice. That's how I really sound. I never thought I sounded like that. And so the final chapter of the book says, Are you answered? The judge says. And she says, Yes, said I. And she says, the complaint was the answer. To have heard myself making it was to be answered. People rarely ever say what they truly mean. To say the very thing you really mean, the whole of it, nothing more or nothing less, or other than 
what you really mean. That's powerful. That is so powerful. Does anyone ever say what they really mean? Does anyone ever really beget, get gut honest truth? But see, before God, they strip her bare. She's old. She's an old woman. They take everything. They, they come out and say, and, and she's before all these people. Nothing. No little no amount of clothing, no nothing, just stripped bare. And the only thing the judge allows her to hold is her book to read from it, her complaint. That's all she's got. And see, when you're stripped bare, when you're before everybody and you're before the judge and you read your complaint, you begin to realize, wow, this is the first time I've ever really spoken what I truly mean. I heard my voice. I got my answer just by making my complaint. I didn't say anything more or less than what I truly, really meant. Until that word can be dug out of us, why should they hear the babble that we think we mean? The gods, she's saying. Why should they even listen to us? How can they meet us face to face till we have faces? Till we can be honest, till we can really get gut core honest before God, the one who is coming to return to judge the living and the dead. We need to humble ourselves. We need to say, now there is a time. See, this was before she died, and God's given her these visions. She's trying to resolve this within her before she finally dies that one day, and there is no more time. So this word comes to her in this revelation and dream and, and she's desperate in her pain and her agony and her just complaint before God and she's going to kill herself and she hears this voice cry out, don't do it. That won't resolve anything going to the place of the dead. And then the voice in the dream says, die before you die. And that's one of her big revelations that she must die first before she dies. And that helps her come to that place of honesty that she must die before she actually physically dies. To be crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me we must die before we die and we can only do that through the blood that we sing about of Jesus Christ it is the only cleansing blood we must realize this part of the creed that Jesus is returning to judge the living and the dead amen I believe in the Holy Spirit John 15, 26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, you see the whole Trinity working there, whom I will send from the Father, the Holy Spirit. You see the triune God there, and you see who the Holy Spirit is. The Helper come from the Father and the Son. The Helper who is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. And what does it say about the Holy Spirit in John 15, 26? It says, he will bear witness about me, Jesus is saying. He will make much of me. He will talk much of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will magnify Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily come and go, I'm the Holy Spirit looking great. How you? The Holy Spirit goes, look at Jesus. 
Look at Jesus. And when people are doing that, they are magnifying and being led and guided by the Holy Spirit when they're making much of Jesus. They're testifying of Jesus. They're witnessing about Jesus. And that's what um, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. In John 16, 7 through 8, Jesus again teaching on the Holy Spirit before he goes to the cross and dies and is resurrected. These are our final words, teaching about he must ascend so the Holy, he can send the Holy Spirit, will descend from heaven. And so John 16, 7 and 8, he says, Nevertheless, I t- tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit's work. I believe in the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The book of Acts is all about. Some people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. Some people call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I'm getting an echo again for some reason, Rifle. It's getting in the cave-like thing. So, uh, the book of Acts is a a great, powerful testimony of the Holy Spirit. It's about when Jesus does ascend. It is about when the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit is poured out, and everything changes. Peter changes. He stands up uh, and, and preaches this great sermon on the day of Pentecost, and The Holy Spirit, through Paul, goes out and is testifying of Jesus before kings and making much of Jesus. He's brought in chains before kings and governors. And this is all about the Holy Spirit and his work. The Holy Spirit convicts the Philippian jailer when they're singing and the the earthquake happens in Philippi and, and, and they are just, you know, they said, no, we haven't left. And the Philippian jailer is convicted of his sin and says, what must I do to be saved? Wow. I mean, what had he heard? What had he, just the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts, convicting of sin and people coming to Christ. Peter overcomes his prejudice and goes to the house of Cornelius where he and other Jews witness the Holy Spirit falling upon these Gentiles. He doesn't want to go. He presses not to go and God continually urges and he finally goes and he sees the Holy Spirit fall and and then later in, in Acts, uh, Paul is bringing these Gentiles now all to faith, and he's saying, what should we do uh, with all these Jewish, uh, I mean, all these Gentile believers? And they're wanting them to go through all these, some, some of them, these processes to become Jews, you know. And Paul's arguing not to, and Peter actually stands up in, in defense and says this in Acts 15, verses 7 through 11. Peter, once again, speaking up here. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. You guys hear that? The Holy Spirit working. Uh, and, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith, just as he did to us. How's your heart cleansed? 
cleansed their hearts by faith, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. I love that. And then he goes on, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. No distinction, no partiality. A God is not showing any partiality. And as we get into that, that's what the next statement is. I believe in the church. That's the easiest way to say it, because when you throw in the Holy Catholic Church, it confuses people. Uh, it doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. It means the church worldwide, the, the whole church uh, that exists. Every believer in every tribe, tongue, and nation around the world. I believe in that. I believe I can meet somebody in, in Africa or Iran or the Middle East anywhere or in Australia or anywhere around it. And, and do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. And we instantaneously have a bond that runs deeper than any bond that we could possibly have. We're brothers and sisters in the blood of Christ. That is, I believe in the church. Galatians 3:28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ. One in Christ. See, there's no there's no difference there. Again, that's what Peter argued for. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We're all saved the same way. We're all saved by the blood of Christ and faith in him through grace alone in Christ alone. So we have all of this in common, whether you're slave or whether you're fee, free, a free person, whether you're uh, a male or a female, we all come to salvation through the same way, and we're all one in Jesus Christ. We have that connection with one another. We're bound together for eternity by the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That has that communion of the saints, I believe, in the church, I believe in the communion of the saints that we as believers have this Jesus in common and the having Jesus in common is having everything in common. We share everything in common. Acts 2.44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. When you meet a fellow Christian in another country and they might have a need that you can provide, you go, what's mine's yours because it's not even mine. I'm just a steward of what God's given me, and he's blessed me with an abundance. If I have two coats and you don't have none, I'm going to give you one of mine. It's giving. It's having things in common. We believe in the church. We believe in the communion of the saints. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. Is this a beautiful one? The, beautiful, the forgiveness of sins? The scripture picked out for us for this is uh, Luke seven forty eight, And it's just Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. What a powerful word right out of the scripture. The forgiveness of sins, Jesus saying your sins are forgiven. In this situation, invited to Simon's house, the Pharisee, in Luke seven forty seven and 50, we read part of the story. Where Jesus says, your sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? Argument breaking out. And Jesus just turns to her and says to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Man, don't even listen to this argument. Just go in peace. And there is no greater peace than knowing we've been saved from the wrath of God into peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's in her statement every Sunday. That forgiveness of sins. Have you heard Jesus say to you, speak to you personally, your name, your sins are forgiven? Do you know that? You can know that. We speak here of the assurance when we talk about confessing our sins. Then after that comes the assurance. And the assurance of our salvation as believers is real. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know, have that assurance, knowing, not just knowing about, but that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know you have that? Do you know that you have that forgiveness of sins? You can. That's why John's writing his whole book. I'm writing these things to you. Believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And then we believe in the resurrection of the body. This is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in Paul's teaching on the resurrection. Verse 35, he says, Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come from? So Paul's going to answer that there. What does that resurrected body look like? We're not just some ghost. We're not just some spirit whisping around in heaven on clouds playing harps. No, you will be raised a body just like Jesus' body. When Jesus said, I'm not a spirit. Give me a piece of fish. See, feel me. Spirit doesn't have, touch me. There's a physicality to this that we need to know that we believe in the resurrection of the body. Here's one important factor about the resurrected body towards the end of his explanation of what that is. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52 through 54, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable And this mortal body must put on immortality. What's your body, resurrected body, going to look like? Imperishable and immortal. Sound good? Come on. Come on, some of you. I know what this perishable body feels like a little bit. It it, it has aches and pains. And this is going to be raised with immortality, imperishable. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And they will receive this resurrected body. And life everlasting. This almost gets into as good as your sins are forgiven, isn't it? Life everlasting. That's what it ends on besides amen. Amen is actually a part of the creed. But the life everlasting, John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Doesn't that feel just beautiful? Oh, John 17, 2, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life 
to all whom you have given him. Ephesians 3, 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. All praise and glory to him. He is the giver of this eternal life. I wish I could spend more time on that, but just know that in Jesus, if you die now, you will never die again. You'll have eternal life with him. Jesus has said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Believe on me and you shall never die. Our death is not the death of a person that is, dies twice and is cast away from God forever. We need this everlasting life and we believe we have it in Jesus. Amen. Revelation 7.12 says, saying, Amen. It's in the Bible, the word Amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion together and be dismissed with a song. The song is The Reason I Sing. Some of the words we'll be singing will, it will be for the cross that you bore and the debt that you paid for the victory you won over death and the grave. This is the reason I sing. And it's not only the reason that I sing in another portion of the song. It says, I will not be silent. I'll testify of your grace. Jesus, forever my song will be you, only for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus is the reason we sing, and he is our song. We have these uh, for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you believe in this creed that gives us these statements of faith of what it means to be a Christian, you're welcome to join us. If you believe you have everlasting life through the forgiveness of your sins, partake with us. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a cup. He took the bread first. He took the bread and he, said, and he gave thanks to the Father for it. In the midst of his betrayal, he was praying, giving thanks to God the Father. Think of that. And he said, this is my body. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread together. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it, and do this in remembrance of me, and remember my death until I come. Let us partake together of the cup. Gracious Heavenly Father, just anoint our hearts as we have shared in this communion of the saints, this meal remembering you, Jesus, and your broken body and your shed blood for us. Anoint our hearts to worship you. 
demons believe and they tremble, James says. So they can believe in creeds, but they do not put their trust in them. Help us to put our trust in you, Jesus. And the other thing that demons don't do is they don't worship. They don't say praise you and thank you for these statements of faith, for this creed, for your living word that abides within us. So our faith is made real in our hearts because we put our trust in you and we worship you. Let us do that now together. Let us worship Jesus. Amen.
need you, Lord. Please receive this blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.